0: The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest, greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show. I am Chris Sheeran, and right next to me, as always, is Lou DiPietro. We are on the Twitter machine, Lou DiPietro, yes, Chris Sheeran, yes. Chuck us a follow, go to our Facebook page as well, Uh, just type in The Chris Sheeran Show to the old uh, Facebook search bar. Yeah, and it'll pop up and you could uh, join and, you know... We can see how many people listen to this damn thing. Uh, It's almost Yankee season. It's scary, Mm. dude. We are, as we start taping,
1: 48 hours away from lineups, first pitch baseball.
0: Wow. And it just doesn't stop for like, Mm -hmm. hopefully for the Yankees for eight months for them. Yep. Uh, Because that'll take them through October if my math is correct. But I wasn't very good at math. And if you're thinking about the math right now in your head and I'm wrong deal with it.
1: Well, eight months from March 2 is November 2, well, there and that's you go. around where the World Series ends, so we'll That was it. right.
0: I, I can't do that in my head like you. Like I said before, I'm the idiot. Lose the savant. Uh, moving forward, um, so first pitch will come out of the right hand of Luis Severino, and our Jack Curry was on Twitter. He's down there in Tampa, and he gave us five thoughts early on in the Yankees' spring training, so we're just going to go through these like we have Jack on the show, and Instead of Jack, I'm going to get my partner's thoughts because uh, Lou is a Yankee aficionado and knows everything about this team. So I'll just throw these out at you and we can go back and forth and discuss a little bit. But first thing Jack said was uh, 200 inning pitchers. Uh, Severino, Ivaldi, and Tanaka have all bandied that about that they may be the uh, candidates uh, to give the Yankees 200 innings this year. Uh, but already, as you mentioned before we started taping, of all these having a bit of a groin issue so far.
1: Yeah, he's been dealing with a groin issue the last few days in camp. He had a bullpen or a side session that was pushed back today. He'll throw like a side or a bullpen on Wednesday, um, the day of the Yankees' first game. But he doesn't apparently feel it's too big of an issue based on what I've seen. But I mean, it's a groin issue in
0: February 29th, so who knows? And it's and Severino's <clears throat> getting the ball Wednesday against the Tigers in their first spring training game. Do fans look into that at all? Do they see that and say, oh, he's the opening day starter? What's the deal with that? They
1: they can. They shouldn't. For three reasons. Number one, Girardi even said yesterday he announced the schedule for the first three games. It's Severino, Nova, Brian Mitchell. Uh, he said those are the guys who are ready. And we knew they were going to hold back Tanaka a little bit. Probably Pineda and Sabathia. Maybe even Evaldi. Um From the first few games of spring. So nothing to look into that. Plenty of time. Pitchers at this point are throwing 30 to 40 pitches. It's an inning or two, depending on how hard or or soft an inning is. Plenty of time to line up the rotation. Opening day is still, from March 2, opening day is still 33 days away. Plenty of time.
0: Uh, his 1A to that 200 innings uh, that he put as his number one, his hunch is that Tanaka and Severino have the best chance to uh, be those big inning guys. Do you agree with that? Um, Yes and no. Uh, Let me just
1: say the third point to the the rotation thing was that Adam Warren was the opening day starter for the spring in the last two years. So uh, there's no way Adam Warren was the opening day starter. Um, It's the guys who are ready. To that other point... Tanaka has done it in Japan, hasn't done it here, came relatively close last year, given that he missed six or seven weeks and then missed a start down the stretch. So had he not missed the start down the stretch, we'll say, he would have finished somewhere in the 165 to 170 range. You know, 30 innings is five, six starts, depending on how how good or bad you are on any given day. That's easily what he would have made and then some in the seven weeks he missed. Sure, he could do it. It all depends on the healthy elbow. Of all, he's done it almost. He had 199 and two thirds two years ago in Miami. So for him, it's just it's if he can make 32 starts, he can pitch 190, 200
0: innings. Well, if you know anything about this team, and if you've yep. watched it the past couple mm-hmm. years, you know that injuries just happen right all the time. So it- Sever- yeah, Severino, I think, is the
1: one that has the best chance for right. two reasons. Number one, he's young. His arm may be a little more rubber, so to speak, than the others. I mean, I know Evaldi's only 26, but Tanaka's 27, but there's still a lot of MLB miles on those arms. Uh, Severino pitched 160-ish last year. You kind of want to go 25 to 30 more than you would have, you know, as you progress. That's sort of the general consensus. So I would say 185 to 190 is more likely. But if they need him for 200, those extra two starts I don't think are going to kill him. The reins
0: are off. Yeah. They're, they're not taking him there's, out in the fifth the, inning. There's anymore.
1: no Severino rules. Yeah. They did that last year in the – and, you know, that's the thing. They did that last year when he be was in the minors. It would be
0: too long for a t-shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah. They did that in the minors, you know, to an extent. He, he would kind of only go five innings per start just because they were saving that mileage for August-September. Now they're not saving it, so there you go. Combine the fact that he, you know, if he makes thirty-two starts, half of them aren't going to be five innings like they were in the minors.
0: There you go. It should come as no shock, by the way, that the first four thoughts from Jack are about the pitching staff. <laughs> uh, the next one yeah. is his number two after the one and one A. Uh, unsolicited, Gene Michael Stick said Sabathia, CC comma CC, has looked terrific this spring. If he's close to the pitcher he was with the knee brace, he's a solid number 5. You buying or selling that? I think he can be
1: better than that if he's close to the pitcher he was with the knee brace. He was really good in September. Once he came back from the DL after leaving on Old Timer's Day...
0: Um, I think it was Old Timer's Day. He had a bit of a verve. A bit of a pep in his step when um, he got back in the rotation. Or was it,
1: it was Andy Pettit Day, maybe. Whatever celebration day it was that he pitched in August... Um, after he left that start and then came back a couple weeks later, he was a different pitcher in September. Mm-hmm. And where he lies maybe somewhere in between both of those, because he was fresh, so to speak, in September. He had those couple weeks off. But he also has a little bit of the mental weight off his shoulders yeah. from, from you know, from the alcohol rehab mm-hmm. and, and getting his issues out in the open. So maybe he's got a little more, you know, a little more mental uh, clarity. And that helps on the mound, too. You, 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 Regardless of how much you say, oh, when I, I'm on the mound, I block it all out. But,
0: you know, it helps. You've got to think with that out in the open now, he could actually move forward. I'm not saying he's going to be throwing 95 again. That, that, that's not the thing. But he doesn't have that specter over his head. He doesn't have to worry about getting into trouble. You know, he was up in was it Toronto last year, where he had the altercation that yep. almost escalated into something outside
1: the club, and yeah, the the, and this, the, bal- the supposed balcony thing in Chicago, yeah, and there yeah, were yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah. So
0: he he gets this out in the open, and and he could actually just focus on baseball right now. So that was great for him. He had a good off season working out. So hopefully, as Jack mentioned, he yeah. can be that number five I, starter he, and a good one at you that. Know, he
1: can be more. He can be closer to a three or a four. But, you know, if your five is pitching like a three or a four, that's great, but it's just- it's not as great if your one or your two is pitching like a three or four I, as well. So. I,
0: if Freddie Garcia and Bartolo Colon can give you meaningful innings, there's no reason why C.C. Yeah. Sabathia healthy with that knee brace, can't uh, give you the same thing.
1: A Jar- uh, Jarrett Wright, whose arm was about to fall off yeah. at some points in the season, gave the Yankees six innings 25 to 30 times that one year back in the day. So. But it's
0: still that, you know, it's that juxtaposition. It's not only what he dealt with with the alcohol, but it's also the, you know, the inner battle inside his head, and he's admitted this: that you know it's hard going from a power pitcher and transitioning yourself into a pitcher that has to be crafty and, and find different ways to get out of innings. You can't just mm-hmm. blow somebody away with a 97 mile an hour fastball anymore. You know, if you lay one in there, if you're, if his slider isn't working and his changeup uh, isn't darting away, it's going to be a long game for CC. Yeah,
1: because 97 is 92 these days or right.
0: 93. You know, so it's right. a lot different. Uh, moving on, uh, he goes into the bullpen next. The narrative of the big three is Batances in the seventh, Miller in the eighth, Chapman in the ninth, when possible, better to deploy to a game, less fatigue. And you would think that would happen because you don't want all three of them out there every single freaking game. You can't have that.
1: No. And we saw what happened late in the season when they did that with Wilson, Batances, Miller. Now granted, Chapman versus Wilson is a different animal as is Miller moving back an inning or two, but. You know, ideally, you have three of the best relievers in baseball. If you can deploy two of them in any given night and save one, you know that's an idea, and it's it's an interesting thought. Uh, our our friend of the program, Chad Jennings of the Journal News, mm-hmm. um, hot stove contributor, did a a piece a few weeks back about you know possible scenarios with the Yankees doing that, like maybe it's a shuttle system in the inside the bullpen where this guy's unavailable and this guy's the number one option. Not necessarily having defined roles. I know Joe already said Chapman's a closer, but not necessarily having a defined role so that the freshest guy is your ninth-inning guy, <clears throat> you know? Or maybe the freshest guy is your seventh-inning guy so that you, you're, you're moving guys along and keeping them worried, uh, not worried, working, uh, in in a relatively regimented yet fluid
0: order. Let me ask you this because I heard <clears> this on the radio, and it kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit, and this is definitely not the traditional way to think when you think about baseball. But I think it was actually Boomer and Carton, if I'm not mistaken, and they brought up the deal that you know starters might be a thing of the past uh, in the future in baseball, and you might go three-three-three and just have a specialized bullpen. You still have a quote-unquote starter, but they're only going three innings, and you're going to piece together the rest of the game. I mean, that would really change the landscape. Do you think that would ever happen?
1: Um, I don't know. See. You know, we can talk about Cy Young and Christy Mathewson winning 50 and 40 games because they started 80 and, you know, teams had three pitchers and it's more
0: like Little League. And they threw 500 innings. Right.
1: And now, you know, now we have five starters and talk of six-man rotations and this and that. I feel like the roster will expand sooner than that would change. So maybe that would help add guys to the bullpen. but you you know you look at project 5182 or 5280 or whatever it was called like 5280 I would assume cuz it's the mileage mm-hmm. um that the Rockies tried a few years ago where they had guys who were they basically went world baseball classic rules for the second half of the season they had guys who were their starters that would throw 75 pitches regardless of how far that got them with a piggyback of a guy who threw 50 to 60 pitches regardless of how far they got them and then the bullpen you know there's so there's Four, I think, four starters who were the 75 pitch guys, three piggyback guys who were the 50 to 60 pitch guys, and then five guys in the bullpen that filled in here or there. You know, you had a closer, and then a few middle relievers, so to speak. It works in theory, not so much on days where, like, we saw Masahiro Tanaka was up at 75 pitches through four innings, and then somebody comes in and throws 30 pitches in the fifth inning, and now your piggyback guy is out in the sixth, and you still got to use three of those five guys in the bullpen. Ideally, you'd kind of like four to five, maybe six out of your starter on a good day, you know, and then that piggyback guy can can carry the load. But I I always thought it would be an interesting scenario. Why not give it a whirl? If you if you pitch if you have twelve guys in the bullpen, mm-hmm. let, let's let's break it down even further. You have three starters who pitch two innings each. That's six. That, that's eight. your no. That's your guys. They they pitch two innings each every day. Uh-huh. They start. They go two innings. Okay. Maybe three. 45 to 50 pitches. Okay. So you need two days off. You got nine guys in the bullpen that are going to pitch an inning and change a day. They might all work a lot more, but they're working a lot. No, well, it's not easier. Less hard. You know, if you've got nine guys to fill seven innings, well, it's like, okay, seven guys pitch today, then seven guys pitch tomorrow, then seven guys pitch the next day, then seven guys pitch the day after that. Everybody's pitched three out of four days, and you just keep that. It, it's more of a workload, but you know, you know, you know it's your day to pitch, or it would, it's your day not to pitch, or whatever. It
0: would not speed the game up either. That's for
1: sure. No, and the, the thing about that too is, like I said, you know, that nineteen inning game against Boston last year, where Garrett Jones was warming up to pitch the twentieth,
0: uh,
1: you know, that's going to throw a whole wrench in the plans.
0: Yeah. Uh, number four, we finally get to the uh, the fielders. Uh, but this is really number 5 because he had a 1A. Uh, watching Didi and Castro take infield practice is a treat. Castro has quick feet, soft hands, strong arms. Some games at third won't be an issue. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm kind of excited for that middle infield for the Yankees this year. It's yeah. going to be very uh, interesting to see uh, Castro and how he fits in. I mean, Chicago, it's a big city, just like New York. And he, he I don't think he's going to have any issues fitting in in the city. But going to be interesting to see how he bounces back from a bad game and error or something like that in this kind of atmosphere. Yep. So, but yep. that, that middle infield, like Didi turned it on at the end of last year. Sure did. So it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a tremendous middle infield for the Yankees.
1: I think year. I think one of the things that's going to make a big difference besides Castro's third base ability, as, mm-hmm. he, as he learns it more, is Rob Snyder's taking ground balls over there too and says he, you know, he's getting to feel a little comfortable.
0: But uh, how do going to put him in there until he's ready. How but do you not put a guy in at second last year and give him a shot at second, and now you're going to throw him at third? I, I, don't, I don't understand that.
1: Batting average aside, Steven Drew was the better option in their eyes. I, I, I'm not going to try to defend or understand that thinking, especially given what ref did the last two weeks of the season. But, I, you know, look, here's, here's the interesting thing about this. Didi Gregorius is your shortstop. Mm-hmm. And he looks to be the only infielder with a set position. Obviously, Tex is at first. But on that other, you know, on that other, the, the other three quarters of the infield, because Chase Headley may or may not be the backup first baseman once or twice, depending on how Ackley's playing, if he's needed elsewhere, if he's hurt, what's going on if Tex misses a day. You know, Castro, they're swinging him around to learn some third base. Whoever wins the the quasi utility infield job is going to be going to be playing everywhere, you know, at various points, it, uh, unless they use that twenty fifth roster spot. Truly, like they, well, they, they Ref think Snyder, they're Scranton
0: Shuttle. Ref Snyder will do anything in his power to make the big league club. So but, you know,
1: but there's team there are teams. You know, you look at the Royals, and you know, adding a guy like Ben Zobrist last year was huge because he played left field till Alex Gordon came back, and then he took over for Infante at second base. But then you look at a team like Tampa Bay a few years ago where they had four or five guys who were basically utility guys in the lineup at any given point. You know, Sean Rodriguez would play somewhere one day and then somewhere else the next, and they had two or three other guys that would fill in gaps when guys were off. If you can have, at this point, let's say seven guys that are locked into their positions, six and a half because, you know, Gardner can take over for Ellsbury in center field Mm -hmm. on a day where Hicks plays left or whatever. But if you can have those six or seven guys locked in and then you have two guys that are highly fluid and five guys on the bench to play those fluid positions and move around, you can put Ackley at second and Ref Snyder at third one day if Headley's hurt. Or, you know, th- those couple days last year when Cole Figueroa came up because Headley's back was, was not, uh, not cooperating. Instead of doing that, you can continue using your last roster spot for whatever you need it for elsewhere. And, okay – you know, we can swing Starlin to third and play ref or Ackley at second, or we can swing ref to third and let Castro play second, or we can do this. Guys having that positional flexibility will help in the long run. How good they are at, at those positions determine, you know, remains to be seen, but it really can only help in the long run. I mean, rather than having just a utility infielder like Brendan Ryan, you've got three.
0: Yeah, and I'd rather see the youth being. Uh showcased on this team rather than bringing in a journeyman just to throw him out there But and then again, see again, something happens. You know, All
1: let's, right? let's be fair. Steven drew was supposed to be nominally the backup shortstop too. And what do you play shortstop twice?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and uh, Jack's last uh, bit here buy an Aaron Hicks Jersey, he'll play a lot. Even before Gardner bone bruise became public Yanks, insistent on resting Gardner Ellsbury more. So there you have it. Yeah. Jack's I, five points.
1: You remember when the Phillies won the World Series in two thousand
0: eight? Yes, I do. Do you because remember who, the year who the, before the Yankees? You remember who their left
1: fielder was? Couldn't tell you. His name was uh, Pat Burrell.
0: Oh, okay. You
1: remember the who bat. their left fielder was in the seventh through ninth innings of just about every game? His name was not Pat Burrell. Carlos Beltran may be getting to that point. Mm-hmm. He he started getting there a lot more last year. You saw a lot of Chris Young. You know. Chris Young playing 125 games last year because he played two innings in fifty of them. That may be where it's going. You know, especially if if Beltran's not hitting, you know, he was probably the Yankees' best hitter from May first to the end of the year last year, but if that doesn't happen again, and you know, his defense, you know, is declining. He's thirty-nine years old. Well, that's what I happens
0: mean, when you give a thirty seven year old you know, a three year deal.
1: So that may happen. You may see Aaron Hicks for a few innings, or, you know, if Jacoby Ellsbury is a little gimpy, it's like, well, you know what? Rather than push it, Hicks is here. We're getting him out of there. Or, you know, Gardner's wrist is balky. Um, and, you know, honestly, there's worry all three spots just based on things I said. Ellsbury last year right. had a knee injury that seemed to – no one seemed to be, have a beat on what happened, and he missed two months. Brett Gardner's wrists at this point are very much cause for concern. That's
0: plural, by the way. Wrists.
1: And Carlos Beltran is 39 years old. Yeah. So there you go. And Alex Rodriguez is going to turn 41 in the middle of the season. There you go.
0: Yeah. The, the, the problem Joe Girardi has on a, on a day in, day out basis is, is basically the age on this team. And he has to. Um, Ellsbury is an asset for how many more years? Five? Six? Four to five. Yeah. Four to five. Unless they trade him, but who's going to take that contract? Um, he's got to rest him. Gardner, who knows if he'll be ready on opening day with what's going on with his wrists. And we talked about that on Friday. Uh, Beltran, you know. Actually, it's five to six for
1: Ellsbury. Five to six. That contract That's has, has an option, thought. yeah. Right,
0: yeah, five to six. Uh, and Beltran, like you said, 39 years old. He got off to the slow start last year, and he did not play the best right field. And when you have guys struggling on the mound and, you know, there were times where you could say he didn't hustle into foul territory. He missed a couple of foul pop-ups that would have gotten pitchers out of some tight spots Mm -hmm. and he didn't get to the ball. All these things factor in, you know, I'm not a big sabermetrics guy, but, uh, (coughs) you know, I can, you can say
1: the opposite about 2014 when he went, you know, all out and flipped over a wall in Tampa and was never the same. So it's, it works both ways.
0: I get that. But
1: yeah, he's thirty-seven. Well, that's what I'm saying. At it works time. both ways. Like you know, he, he
0: Why do you give a thirty-seven-year-old? He a realized year he can't do
1: that after that happened. But then it kind of went to the other extreme last year, as you're talking about.
0: Yeah, and Karota. We talked about Karota. Why, why don't you give these guys one-year deals? I know they probably don't want them, but earn your money. We'll, we'll bring you back like we did Hiroki. Yeah, that seemed to work. I don't know. I, I just don't get little it. A
1: little different with a pitcher, I think. But that's Yeah. But <sighs> it, it won't be to Jack's point, it won't be a surprise if Aaron Hicks has four hundred at bats at what the end of the Aaron, season. What about Aaron Judge? There's no there's no reason. That's 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 one thing. I know Prospect Hounds and the people who sit on Facebook and say fire cashman every time we post, you know, them signing a, a utility infield or do a minor league deal with an invite to camp that don't understand that people have to play at triple A too. Uh I understand their fur- fear and their support of judgment. Unless Aaron judges – let me put it to you this way.
0: What if Beltran's lost for the year? What if he gets hurt?
1: If Beltran's lost for the year, that's a different story. Because then you put him on the 60-day DL. His contract goes away. You just basically fill his roster spot. That's a different story. Although even then, you may see a situation where the Yankees decide we're going to see what Aaron Hicks has first and just call up Heathcott or Gamble or Williams. You could do that. And then, and then we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. If – you
0: want Judge to play every right. day. If nothing in AAA. ridiculous
1: happens, mm-hmm. there is no reason for Aaron Judge to be a New York Yankee before September first. And here's why: Number one, it's a, it's a three pronged re- reasoning. Okay. Number one, Aaron Judge has split the first two full years of his career at two levels. He went from you know low A to high A two years ago. Double Trenton. A, double A to, to AAA last year. Right. Yep. Because he didn't play in 2013 after he was drafted. Um, he struggled a little bit the first week, two weeks, three weeks when he moved from Charleston to Tampa.
0: Same thing. with He
1: did it. He struggled the first week or two of the season mm-hmm. in last year in Trenton. Trenton. Then when he got to Scranton, he struggled for a couple weeks, but then he struggled for a couple weeks more and a couple weeks more, and he, he kind of really didn't have a great second half. No, he didn't. Might have had a little bit of a back issue, but he did not have a great second
0: half. His back seems to be fine now. It seems to be practice.
1: fine, yeah, because he's clearing the scoreboard. <laughs> um, so for reason number one is that he hasn't shown the mastery of AAA pitching. There's still room for him to learn. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's hitting 450 with 30 home runs at the All-Star break in AAA, that's a different yeah. story. yeah. But, you know, you give him a few months. You let him play every day. Let him, you know, DH him a little bit. You don't, you don't need to force him in there.
0: Put him back in a crockpot on low.
1: Yep. It, it, at best, you might come up to a situation where the Yankees were with Greg Bird last year. Greg Bird needed to be protected from the, from the Rule 5 draft this year. He needed to be put on the 40-man roster. Same with John Ryan Murphy a couple years ago mm-hmm. when he showed up in September randomly. Or so people thought. So if mid to late August... You know, guys are getting tired. You're down the stretch. You need to fill in for guys a little bit, you know, something like that. Beltran, tax A-Rod. And you're going to give them a September call-up anyway, an extra two weeks of service time, which was really what Greg Bird was supposed to get, mm-hmm. just be a, a bench bat for a couple weeks and, and learn. That makes sense. So maybe August 15th, I'll say. There's no reason for him to be that. But he hasn't shown that mastery of AAA pitching yet. So there's no reason to rush him. Number two... The reason there's, there's no reason for Aaron Judge to be here. The Yankees have eight outfielders on the 40-man roster. There are plenty of guys who can step in for a week or two. You know, last year when Ellsbury went down, they didn't go out and panic. They brought up Heathcott and Williams, Williams. and Flores. Yeah. Well, this year you can bring up Heathcott and Williams and Gamble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lane Adams, who was on the 40-man roster for a little bit, is down there. And Dustin Ackley can play the outfield. There are so many other options that unless Judge is tearing it up and can play every day, there's really no need to bring him up here or there. And then the third reason there's no reason to rush him to bring him up is because if you do, the expectations will double. If you bring Aaron Judge up to bring Aaron Judge up, people are going to expect him to hit 400 and be the second coming of Dave Winfield. And when he struggles, which happens, it's going to be a bad situation for everybody because the boo birds are going to come out and the papers are going to Oh, Aaron Judge, this guy's a bum. He's, you know, the same people that sit on Facebook and want to fire Brian Cashman when he signs minor league contracts are going to call Aaron Judge a bum and overrated and this and that. And, and New York is not a very friendly town when you're not doing well.
0: There you go. That was very well thought out. So there, let, the guy,
1: let the guy rake in AAA. Let him mm-hmm. buy his time just like Greg Bird was going to this year. Let him buy his time. And when the, future, when the future arrives, he'll be ready.
0: Got anything else on the Yankees?
1: That's about it. Domingo Herman gets in for another MRI, apparently. He's having some arm issues. So that trade may end up just being Nathan Evaldi for two guys because Prado was here for all of two months. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, although he did uh, – not Prado. He, he was sent down there with, with that group. So
0: Yes. Garrett Jones was here for all of two months. That's, what That's I mean. the one, yes. Sorry. That's all right. How about some basketball? How about a story from the uh, New York Post that uh, Mari Stademeyer was apparently ripping Carmelo Anthony? Uh, quote, if Lynn, Jeremy, stayed, it would have been cool, but everyone wasn't a fan of him being a new star, so he didn't stay long. Jeremy was great, great guy, great with teammates, worked hard, he put the work in. We were proud of him having his moment. A lot of times you got to enjoy somebody else's success. That wasn't the case for us during that stretch. You got to enjoy that. And let the player enjoy himself and cherish those moments. He was becoming a star. And I didn't think everyone was pleased with that. That from uh, Amari Stoudemire. And uh, Carmelo would later deny he was talking about him. Uh, mm-hmm. Because he, his reasoning was, if I was upset with Lynn, which he was at the time, let's be honest. He said, if he was upset with Lynn, I'd be upset with KP right now and all the success he's having. I, there's, there's another line in here. Here, this is, this is the thing you have to, you really have to drink in. Uh, Stoudemire now starting for the heat in the wake. This is Mark Berman, by the way, the post. Stoudemire now starting for the heat in wake of Chris Bosch's blood clot issue made references to Anthony undermining Jeremy Lin and also not being a complete player, quote-unquote, or the leader to get the Knicks out of their morass, which is a great word, by the way love that word. Morass is a great word. Yes, Yes, it is. Uh, Because you make more of an ass out of yourself if you don't get your team out of their morass.
1: I'd rather be stuck in that than a quagmire, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And then (laughs) – giggity. Uh, Let's see. It's actually five months ago to the day – or five years ago to the day, sorry, that Stoudemire and Anthony started playing together.
1: When – the coming home commercials were on MSG yes. every 30 Ugh. seconds.
0: and it made me want to puke. But anyway, here, here's my thing. Back in 11-12 when Lynn came to the Knicks and they went on that seven-game run to go from 8-15 and 15 to 15 That was 15. the first game
1: I covered. The first Nets game I covered for yesterday really? was that
0: Nets-Knicks-Jeremy-Lynn game. Where he, had, where he scored 38. Yeah. Wow, that was a hell of a game to cover. But that started the run. Uh, and Darren Williams got a little revenge on him later in the season, uh, not too much later after that, but uh, they won seven straight to go 15 and 15. Carmelo played in that first game, got hurt in the second game, missed the next five. Throughout the rest of the season, there were 26 games when Lynn and the Knicks went on that seven-game run, 26 games, 16 and 10, with Lynn. In a big time majority role, 16 and 10. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching those games, <clears throat> Lou, and I remember sitting there saying, This guy's a facilitator. He's getting everybody involved. It's not someone getting the ball and everybody moving away. And, you know, the, the entire game is based on whether he makes his shots or misses. And there were some nights, there's still some nights when he goes five for 20. You know, Lynn was getting Stoudemire involved. He was, he was getting looks for Steve Novak. He was getting looks for Landry Fields. The
1: dentist was drilling
0: and filling a lot yes, that winter. Yes, he was. And <clears throat> it just gets me so upset that, you know, the infight. <clears throat> don't you just want to win?
1: Don't you just want the team to win? <clears throat> Much like I had a three-pronged uh, attack on Jer- Aaron Judge. I, I have it. a three-pronged attack on this. Number one, Amari Stoudemire was one of the biggest free agent busts in New York Knicks history. And that's saying but something, they needed to do it. And that's saying something with Eddie Curry and Jerome James in their recent past. Did you have to mention Jerome I, James? I did. Um, so you got to take a lot of what Stat says with a grain of salt because Stat and Mello together were not the right combination. It just wasn't. It, it was water and oil, and everyone <laughs> thought it was going to be a delicious drink, and instead it was water and oil. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a black and tan.
0: No. Which is fantastic
1: <clears throat> Which are fantastic. Number two, as you mentioned, Jeremy Lynn has become just another guy in the NBA. We, we've seen him a couple times this year with Charlotte when they played the Nets. And that run he went on was not only not sustainable, it was way over his head. It wasn't like he was, you know, a, a 15 and seven guy who was playing at a 25 and 10 level for two weeks and then fell back to 15 and seven. He's still like an eight and five guy, the majority of nights. So, Well, he's not starting in Charlotte either. No. Exactly. I know they have Kemba Walker, but it's not like he went
0: somewhere where he's like the focal point of oh, an no, offense. no, 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 he's no, no. He's playing behind not, Kemba Walker. But during that run, <clears throat> I mean, the guy was scoring 25 or more a right. night. But there's some guys that,
1: that are backups that step into the spotlight when needed that the reason they're backups is because they can do that for a week or two or three and then go back to the – regress back to the mean quickly. Where Jeremy Lynn falls on that remains to be seen. As you said, he's not starting in Charlotte, and it's still only a few years past, so we'll see. <clears throat> you have to remember that before that, he was a second-round pick that bounced around the D-League, too. So it's not like, you know.
0: It'd be like if, Ivy League guys <clears throat> stick. Well,
1: it would be, like be like if, if Langston Galloway did that last year. You know, like, you have to take it with a grain of salt. The third thing I'll say about it is this. Nobody ran Jeremy Lynn out of town. The Houston Rockets' poison pill contract ran Jeremy Lynn out of town because there was no way the Knicks could match it, and they knew it. And that's a problem with restricted free agency in the NBA and the way they can structure contracts. There's no way the Knicks could match that. It would cripple the... It w- I mean, let's be fair. The Knicks are terrible and are already crippled by financial commitments as it is. But it would have crippled them even more had they matched that offer sheet for Jeremy Lynn
0: because they'd be paying a player who's definitely not worth it a lot of money oh, no. and not be able to make other. Moves. He didn't allude to the fact that anybody ran him out of town. It was just like the infighting while he was there. And that to me makes no sense. And, and yes, that contract, the Knicks could not. And I even said it, even though I liked the kid and I covered him when we did, you know, Ivy league basketball here on. Yes, I did one of his mm-hmm. games, uh, which made it a little nicer for me that I actually got to call one of the, you know, his games up there at Harvard, a little Yale Harvard. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that contract, as Lou just mentioned, I mean, if the Knicks did that, it would have been a, a terrible, terrible yeah. move, and they, they just couldn't, and God bless Houston. It would be like, think of it this way, it would be like if somebody, if Donald Sloan
1: was a restricted free agent, somebody offered him a ridiculous contract, the Nets would be stupid to match it. Yeah. Because yeah. as great as Donald Sloan has played of late, in the absence of Jared Jack, and you know... We've seen, you know, Gerald Green had a career resurgence by coming up and and doing the same thing for the Nets a few years back. He's still working.
0: Donald Sloan's and Gerald Green's are a dime a dozen for a reason before they have those breakouts. And uh, you're the king of segues, so the Nets have won, as we tape this on Monday, two straight. That's their first back-to-back win since December 8th and 10th when they beat the Rockets and the Sixers. <coughs> um, real, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, four, four real uh, heavyweights. We, we, talked it, we talked about it off the air. Um, judging that the uh, Nets have already lost to the Sixers and the Timberwolves this year, yep. who are two of the bottom dwellers they in are, the they NBA. Are,
1: they are two of the more moribund franchises. There you go. Bigger
0: SAT words. There you go. Um, you're not going to poo-poo anytime you walk out of hey, a, an arena with a win.
1: Wins are wins, and we talked about it Especially on Friday. Especially when you have
0: 17 on the season. Yeah,
1: we talked about it on Friday with Devin, how just energized the team looked. And they, they kept that up in Utah.
0: Yeah, and uh, Joe Johnson had a pretty good debut for the Heat. He only played 30 minutes, scored 12 points, was 5 mm-hmm. of 10 from the field. So Joe uh, did well at the Garden. His first his first game was against the Knicks. The
1: Mi- Miami Miami Heat are the Florida of the NBA. It's where old New Yorkers go to die. There you um, go.
0: It's pretty much <laughs> what Devin Joe said. Johnson. <laughs>
1: um, uh, yeah, you know the thing is they now play the Clippers, Lakers back to back, and then Denver on Thursday uh, before you take over the yeah. the
0: road trip in Minneapolis and We're Toronto. On the sideline reporter <clears throat> gets exponentially uglier. Um. <laughs> in Minneapolis, and I'm, I'm not going
1: to make a comment on that.
0: Uh, well, it's um, true.
1: You know, the the momentum is nice, and it's good to string a few wins together in the season. As we sort of mentioned on Friday too, it may not necessarily be about winning games, but that may be a nice byproduct of what they're doing, especially against you know the lesser teams of the NBA, like the Jazz and the Suns, mm-hmm. and hopefully the Timberwolves. And the Lakers <laughs> can't leave out the Lakers because they are also one of the more moribund franchises in the NBA this year. Um, it's nice.
0: That's that's all I'm going to say about it. It's nice. Yeah. Gu-
1: guys are stepping up. It's an evaluation period, so why not?
0: This is yeah. That's exactly hit the nail on that. <clears throat> this is a pretty much an open tryout for these guys and uh, for playing time next year if they're under contract and uh, for their jobs coming back if they're a free agent. Uh, but Brooke Lopez has been playing his we rear end-off all season long. He's had one of the best seasons, if not the best season, of his career uh, this year. And knock on wood, he has stayed healthy, and hopefully that remains the case the rest of the year. Uh, going down the stretch here, I think they have 24 mm. games left. Something come, around there, yeah. I'm not mistaken.
1: And you know what? They can also, to maintain that, they can also, you know, not necessarily maybe in the first 12, but once we get to, like, St. Patrick's Day and the season's kind of coming to a wind-down, you know, maybe Brooke gets his minutes scaled back a little bit just
0: Oh, because. yeah, you don't have to keep running you know, about there. Maybe Thad
1: Young. That's when you throw out Chris McCullough and Willie Reed yeah, and Thomas you, Robinson you get and a let them really Yeah, you know?
0: absolutely. <clears throat> um, but they've been playing. Look, this team, even though they have 17 wins, and, and I've said this before, they play. They don't give up. There's only a couple. I would have to say that may, maybe a handful. Uh, I could count them on one hand how many games they just, you know, the Jazz, the Spurs twice, uh, and I know there's a couple more in there. Uh, the Jazz at Barclays Center, not the yeah. recent one in Utah, but they were...
1: Yeah, they haven't played the Spurs yet The at um, in Barclays, have they?
0: The no, they have. Did they? Yeah, they're done with the Spurs. I thought that game was... No. They, they,
1: they did play the Spurs
0: game? Yeah, they okay. lost by 29 both times. <clears throat> okay. Um, I know they played the Thunder at Barclays. But the Jazz at Barclays Center, they were basically tied in the third quarter, and they lost that game by 22 points. So,
1: It's an interesting thought to wonder what the team would have been like had they not quit on Lionel Hollins, or had Lionel Hollins not quit on them, well, that, depending that, that's on how you want to the look at it. Well, more
0: accurate statement, I think.
1: Because um, the East is not exactly – it's better, but it's still not exactly great.
0: And his comments that came out recently you know, alluding to the fact that he was basically told who to play – basically told what system you know what to do yeah. and I think there was a lot of fight back and that's why he threw his hands up mm-hmm. and just said yeah whatever I'm not a coach I'm a puppet yeah or and mm-hmm. didn't want to be there anymore and the Nets relieved him of his duties and they got Sean Marks and we're still waiting on a new coach but I don't think you're going to see one until after the season now
1: no, yeah I, I don't think I don't think so because you can't really can't really pull an assistant off an NBA bench in the middle
0: of now so. and and you know I I would have liked to have seen it You know, soon, sooner rather than later, that way another piece is in place before free agency starts. You definitely want to have your coach, look, the next season is over April 15th, so you could really kick it into high gear. There'll be other teams that their seasons are over. So are
1: 13 others, so the assistants on those 13 teams are fair game. You know, you're not going to be talking to the Becky Hammonds and Luke Waltons of the world, but, you know, you can certainly talk to the – Insert assistant in Utah or on Byron Scott's staff here. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So as long as they have one, I would say by May, mid-May, and you could start a plan with the GM and the coach, and everybody gets on the same page. You know, maybe you get a free agent in here that's a big-time free agent. Even June,
1: even June one. You know, it can even be as late as June one. So
0: as long as the free agents starting on July first know that there's a plan in place. And there's a, there's a culture that's going to be built and there's a system in place where they if they want to go, they want to go. And as
1: long as Sean Marks knows on June 20-whatever. Unless when, you're Mike
0: Conley and all you right. want is the money.
1: When the draft happens and you know Billy King had a knack for buying back into the second round at times, depending on whether Sean Marks does that or not, it would be nice to know, like, okay, this is a player that will fit that system. <clears throat> it evaluates how you deal with the draft and the limited amount of flexibility you have with it as well. So, uh, That's all I got. Yeah, there's one other thing I want to talk about because we're we're off the air for the next two weeks or mm-hmm. so until uh, around St. Patrick's Day, um, when you're back from the nets and I'm back from Tampa and mm-hmm. we can we have a chance to breathe and reconvene, and and it's something that that could very well affect both of us going forward, and it, it ties into something I wanted to talk about last week that I that I didn't that we we sort of tabled, and it's this, um, the whole situation with Dexter Fowler and the Orioles deal that was supposedly done that wasn't, right, and him right. returning to the Cubs mm-hmm. has pissed off everybody from Casey Close to the union to Orioles fans to you name it. Reading earlier today that one of the things, and uh, I'll give the hat tip to Jared Diamond um, of the the Wall Street Journal, the new Yankees beat writer for the Journal, mm-hmm. um, tweeting about this and getting it to the forefront, is that you know one of one of new MLBPA. Head honcho, Tony Clark, ex Yankee, Gert Guy. One of his initiatives may or may not be that reporters may be banned from clubhouses pre and post game and instead, you know, have two or three players available in the press conference room after Joe Girardi or, you know, whoever the opposing manager is, sort of like they do sometimes during the playoffs. And that would, in an age where journalism is expanding to, you know, there's a lot of sites that aggregate content, and one person breaks the news and you just aggregate it. There are still a lot of people, myself included, Jared included for the Journal, Mark Feinsand included for the piece he put up for in this Sunday's Daily News about James Caprellian and his mom. Um, you know, all of the stuff Chad does on the Low, Head, Low Hud blog, mm-hmm. all of the stuff that Kevin Kernan does for the New York Post, and I'm not going to name every beat writer by name, but they all do it. Everybody does it. Every beat writer does it. Is going to kill that. Because it's going to be the same pool of four persons quotes every game. You're not going to get to know anybody. You're not going to get to see these in-depth features. How are you going to know that James Caprelian's mom was you know, dying of breast cancer but urged him to go play for Team USA anyway because that was his lifelong dream? And she passed away a couple of weeks before he left. And he had to leave his family and went to North Carolina and pitched a hell of a game in his first game out there. And the team came around him because they knew what he was going through. I don't know. You going to ask him that in a post game when he just gave up four runs and in, in five innings and <laughs> lost? I mean, come on. Yeah. It's a very – it's – it, it's there's so much downtime in a 162-game baseball season, whether you think so or not. Like, you know, you can go to the net season and you know well. If you can go to the shoot-around, you get all the quotes, you can write stuff. And then there's three days between games. So once the gameplay is over, that's when you have, all right, well, I've got this stuff for – You know, this is what so and so said, and you have to look forward, and there's you have to cover gaps. There's no gaps in a baseball season. There's 18 days off in six months, but there's still these little things you can find out and develop over time. And when you know it's a slow news cycle and nobody's hurt and everything's clicking, that's when you you put out a story like this. It's journalism is what it is, and it's going to kill it if if they restrict the access. So I'm not a fan of that. The other root problem of it is that it's. Part of a bit of a thought maybe that it's an overreaction to what happened with the Dexter Fowler thing, which has nothing to do with clubhouse access. That's people texting Casey Close or the Orioles or this or that, you know, the media getting close to agents or whatever. It has nothing to do with me going up to, you know, John Ryan Murphy in the clubhouses I did last year often and talking to him about some of these young guys that he may have caught in AAA a couple years earlier. Or me going up and talking to, you know, Ref Snyder or Bird or these guys that I got to know in spring training to talk about transitions and, you know, hitting and and what they're learning and the relationships we've built, you know, from Minor League Monthly in the past to these guys now coming up and the relationships the beat writers build by being there 140 out of 162 games a season. That said, the thing I didn't talk about last week that I wanted to was the qualifying offer system and and how – Maybe there's bigger things you should be worrying about as an MLB Players Association, like your players getting screwed out of, oh, jobs, money, um, waiting until February twenty. What, what was yesterday? February twenty seventh, twenty eighth. So, Ian Desmond, who turned down a hundred and seven million dollar contract extension from the Nationals a few years ago, still
0: making eight million
1: this year. Got one year, eight million on basically March first to go play left field, because he got a qualifying offer attached to him and nobody wanted to give him a contract? How about Howie Kendrick, who's almost a career 300 hitter? Desmond did that to himself. He did. But how about Howie Kendrick, who's almost a career 300 hitter, who has been an all-star you know, in his career, has been anywhere from a leadoff hitter to a number eight hitter, including cleanup in his career. Um, he was the cleanup hitter on the Angels team late in the year when they won 98 games two years ago. Guy got two years, 20 million in late January because he had a qualifying offer attached to him. So nobody wants to give up a a high draft pick for Howie Kendrick because Howie Kendrick's not worth that draft pick, but he's worth a qualifying offer. Maybe that system is a little flawed. Yeah. Maybe the six, seven, eight guys out of 23 guys accepted the qualifying offer. There were 17 that didn't. Out of that 17, I believe the number is, and I left my research downstairs, I believe the number is eight guys out of 17 that got contracts that are either one year or two years for less than the qualifying offer annual value or somewhere in that
0: range. Is this, is this thing with the media being put to a vote? I mean, mm-hmm. are they actually really discussing I, this? It's apparently a thought.
1: So it's part of the collective bargaining agreement, which expires this year, so it may come to the table in collective bargaining. But let's talk about Dexter Fowler getting $13 million total The qualifying offer was fifteen point three. Let's talk about Ian Desmond getting eight million dollars. The qualifying offer was fifteen point three. Nelson Cruz had the same thing happen to him a couple years ago. You know, he went out and hit forty home runs in Baltimore and got himself a huge contract. Howie Kendrick got two years at twenty million. Unless Howie Kendrick drops dead on the field, he's going to get more than four point seven million dollars in his next, like in the first year of his next deal. So how much money did he lose out on because of that qualifying offer? Do you think a team like the, oh, I don't know, the Angels, who need a second baseman more than they need anything else, would have paid him $40 million for three years to come back and play second base? Sure. Sure. They're not going to do it. At, well, they might be a bad example because of their payroll issues, but any other team, the Diamondbacks, you know, before they traded for uh, Gene Segura and kind of rejiggered their infield, might have paid him more.
0: Who knows? So, the qualifying offers fifteen point three million dollars, mm-hmm. and he's only making eight Desmond Desmond's making eight uh Dexter Fowler's contract is uh
1: i believe nine million option next year with a five million buyout, and he's making eight this year, so it's anywhere between thirteen and seventeen so He's either making thirteen for one year or seventeen for two, depending on how that option works out. Yet he could have made fifteen point three just by saying, "Yeah, all right. I'll play one more year in Chicago," and, and where
0: Desmond, he resigned anyway. And Desmond had a hundred million dollar contract on the table that he
1: like a couple years ago. Yeah, that he turned down.
0: Like two years ago, he gambled on himself. He yeah. gambled on himself and he lost because Bad. last year was horrendous. Right. Um, and he might not make one hundred seven million dollars for the rest of his career, and he wanted uh, Andrew's money. Mm-hmm. and now he's going to be staring at Andrews
1: yeah <laughs> from left field he's going to be staring at Andrews' wallet from left field yes exactly so let's talk about you know let's talk about that Howie Kendrick and Dexter Fowler and Ian Desmond let's talk about how Giovanni Gallardo and Desmond and Fowler weren't signed until camp open and Gallardo got 35 million from the Orioles over 3 years which is as you can do the math real quick less than 12 million per year mm-hmm. when he could have made 15.3 by staying with the Rangers for one more year now, Ian Kennedy got possibly overpaid by the Royals. His average annual value of a contract is about where the qualifying offer was, but he got five years out of it. You know, Justin Upton, J- Jordan Zimmerman, Samarja, Price, Granky, Hayward, those guys you knew were going to get monster mm-hmm. contracts. The guys in the middle, Marco Estrada, got two years and 26 million from the Blue Jays. The week that the qualifying offers went out, he decided to resign a two year deal depending on what Marco Estrada did, if he had taken the qualifying offer instead, he's a starting pitcher. Probably would have got more than $11 million next year or somewhere close to it. That's a small gamble that he took by saying, all right, even if I could have made 15 next year, I'm making 26 instead of 30, but I'm, I got the guaranteed two years. I don't think Howie Kendrick feels the same way. No. I don't think Dexter Fowler feels the same way. No, I don't think you know, these guys that are getting low, low offers, late offers feel the same way. On the flip side, there's no way Colby Rasmus was going to get a contract with an average annual value of $15 million, or Brett Anderson. They probably knew that, and that's why they accepted. But maybe that's a system that's flawed when it comes to giving up draft picks, and people don't want to do that. And you know, as we've mentioned in the past, Steven Drew's never recovered from no. not signing with Boston God, until no. May and having yeah. no spring training. And Kendris Morales did, but his, his season was awful the year that he got the qualifying offer from the Angels. No one signed him. Then he signed with the Twins and got traded to Seattle or vice versa. He was awful that year. He's been great with Kansas City. But that year cost him maybe a little bit of money in that Kansas City deal
0: and the subsequent Kansas City well, deal, and
1: maybe cost him a little bit of time in his career.
0: So they can't buy as many cars as Johannes Cespedes has. Big deal. I'm not going to cry for somebody making eight million dollars. You a can
1: year. say that, but when Ian Kennedy's getting seventy million dollars because that's what the market dictates and Chase Headley gets fifty two because that's what the hey. market dictates, it's
0: Then they have to work on it then. They they can't have they have to have <clears throat> it's like equal pay. You you can't do that to somebody. It's not fair.
1: Maybe that's what needs to be fixed. It's not that's not coming from you know me being in the clubhouse
0: talking to Greg Bird. That's, that's, no. not, that's not coming no, from – That's asinine. Yeah. That will that, never happen. You, you know, can't have that happen because you, you're, you're going to kill journalists as, as you know them today. The, the Baltimore that's media – That's what Kevin Kernan makes his living on. The Baltimore media may be
1: a bit to blame for what happened with the Fowler situation, but it's not because Kubatko was in the, the clubhouse in July talking to Kevin Gossman about his slider. has nothing to do with that. <sighs> But that's the kind of thing that we do in the clubhouse pre- and post-game, that you may see a story by someone like a Rock Kubako or a Kevin Kernan or insert beat writer for team here in the middle of the All-Star break when nothing's going on. And I I still
0: have a job to do. And I bring up Kevin because – and this is no offense to anybody else, but no one tells – no one spins a story. Mm -hmm. And by spinning, I mean spinning a yarn. No one can tell a story like that guy. Go back and read Kevin's story about Aaron Judge last year.
1: No one. Never – and like I said, Mark Feinstein's story about caprelian Go back, go read that. You're never going to get anything like that if you can't talk to these guys. No. What
0: are going to do set I up mean, a phone call yeah. with PR. And- yeah.
1: Hey, can I? I want to talk to this guy about this, and they're going to be more guarded because they don't like because you don't have that relationship. Because you know Kevin Kernan doesn't cover the Yankees full time. We know he covers both sides of the New York beat mm-hmm. for the Post, but he is down in spring training and I'll see him next week. He'll be there for a few days while I'm there and he will he's over in St. Lucie and he'll be in Clearwater and Dunedin and all these other places as the team goes and he'll be on the field and in the clubhouse talking to Aaron Judge and Rob Refsnyder and Greg Bird if he's around and Gary Sanchez and yada 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 and this is where you get these relationships from that will be dead if this becomes a reality. That can't
0: happen and I don't think it will happen. For the sake of everything journalistic I, I hope that does not happen. That's that is a load of horse hockey um, and horse pucky whatever and i'm sorry i had to go off
1: on a 15 minute rant about the whole situation and the multiple you situations vented. but you had to get it off your chest you know it affects my it affects my livelihood yeah and to an extent i let me lesser than some of those guys because i'm not a full time beat writer right i play one on tv every now and again but that still, still handcuffs
0: you yeah you can't write when you're handcuffed Yeah.
1: I mean, right now, A.J. Herman and I are going through the transcripts of the interviews we do with the guys in spring training for YES and putting out stories based on good storylines in there. We, you know, we've, we've put up uh, already in the last few days how James Caprelian is fulfilling a lifelong dream by being a Yankee because he grew up liking the Yankees even though he grew up in Southern California. Uh, we're, we put up a story about Severino. You know He wants to be the ace of the Yankees. Did one today about Brian McCann and the Scranton shuttle. McCann loves it. Spoiler alert. Uh, AJ has got one on CC in his knee brace. These are things we have access to because we're yes, but these are stories that guys like Mark and Kevin and Chad and all the rest have to seek out and find an angle for and, you know, not having the access will will kill them.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So. I really don't think that's going to happen because um, if, if it does, and it might be a, Trickle down effect, but you're not going to see as many beat writers anymore. No, they're going to lose their jobs. And you know what? Because there's no, there's really not a reason to have multiple mm -mm. guys there doing this. And especially
1: when you're having a team like, look at the Nets. Look at the Nets beat over the last couple years.
0: That has dwindled. It has dwindled. I'm probably going to be the only one in Minnesota. There
1: might be one or two other guys there.
0: Yeah, that's it. Toronto is a different story. Minneapolis Mm -mm. might be, uh, you know, a a game that most of these uh, people take off. Yeah. Um, but Toronto, they'll be back because Toronto's leading the Atlantic yeah. Division, and there's a story there. You'll
1: see the post and probably the daily news, but Newsday, not no. likely. The Times or the Journal, not likely. No. The record, you know, Andy may be there, but who knows.
0: Yeah, you're right. Wait, Well, we shall see. It'll be me with a – Shout
1: out to our old buddy Rod Boone, by the way, yes. speaking of people yes. that are no
0: longer in the Netspeed. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I'll probably be the one peppering with all the questions. Not my strong suit, I'll be honest. Not at all do not like the locker room. I would much rather be in the studio, but that's neither here nor there. I do what I'm told. You
1: can do your job either way because you're a pro.
0: Yep. There we go. That wraps it up. Uh, Mm. I got three minutes to get in the studio to do my Michael Kay stuff. For Lou DiPietro, I'm Chris Shearn. Uh, We'll see you in about two weeks when uh, hopefully the Yankees don't have any injuries, any big ones to report. Uh, They're doing well at spring training. And we got some more storylines coming out of there mm-hmm. because the big boy will be down there and we'll be discussing
1: And the Nets will be home, so be, they'll be will be back to normal as well. So Yes, the circus
0: will be out.
1: And that week March Madness begins. So
0: And away we go. All right. We'll see you next time everybody. Thanks for listening. Later.